Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. It looks like folks are settling in. Gang, let me go ahead and kick us off officially. I'm Eddie Gordon, courseware designer here at Pragmatic Institute and have the great pleasure of being joined today by Evan Klein, again by Evan Klein. Welcome back, Evan. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Eddie. Appreciate it. Glad to be on board with you here. Evan, of course, is founder and president of Satrix Solutions, and he's here for a discussion on how to gain important insights into the key drivers of customer behavior, because he's so smart about that stuff. And we're going to talk about the impact that that can have on customer loyalty, brand reputation, and overall business success. So as you all are hopping on, let's start with a little question in the chat, shall we? Just to, just to loosen everybody up. Find the chat button in your Zoom, and I would like folks to type in there, please tell me, what is one of the biggest challenges you face when it comes to understanding your customers? The biggest challenge you face when trying to understand your customers. Stick that over in the chat just as a little conversation starter. Evan, let's take a look. What are some of the answers we got here? Challenges people face when trying to understand their customers getting timely feedback, getting them to share their strategic goals, managing and exceeding customer expectations. Any of these sounding familiar to you, Evan? Very much so, very much. Anything surprising you in here? Or are, you gonna pretty, are, are we going to help these folks on pretty much all these here? No, I think we'll cover a lot. Surprised I haven't heard yet, you know, challenge with high response rates or, you know, just the challenge of getting folks to respond to surveys mm-hmm. or provide the feedback in the first place. Yep. Yep. Oh, there's one. Yep. Getting them to respond. I got there. We got that one. That's in there. That's a real one. All righty. Thank you so much for indulging us on that. And uh, I think that also helps us all see we are all in the same boat together. We all have the same challenges. This is not an easy topic, but if anybody can help us, it is the big brain on Evan Klein. As I said, I'm the courseware designer for Pragmatic Institute. So you, if you have attended our courses, have seen some of my work, which also transition is contained in the Pragmatic Alumni Community. If you've not yet visited the Pragmatic Alumni Community, you are missing out, my friends, because this is the place where you go, you can connect to find resources, offerings. You'll find info on sessions like this one that we do regularly. If you're not an alumni yet, 
please do so. I hope you do. All you have to do is take one of our courses and you get free access to the Pragmatic Alumni Community. That is a fringe benefit of being a Pragmatic Alumnus. All right. Today, we are talking about decoding customer satisfaction, colon, strategies for identifying and nurturing your key drivers of product success. That's what we've titled it today because we've got the man himself, Evan Klein, here to help us get smarter on that topic. Evan is the founder and president of Satrix Solutions. For over 25 years, he's been responsible for maximizing customer satisfaction, retention, profitability for businesses around the world. Evan has a passion for counseling executives and product professionals on the best ways to enhance the customer experience, to create more loyal advocates while increasing customer lifetime value. Evan, it's so good to have you back. Are you ready to make us smart on this topic? Let's geek out, shall we? Thanks so much, Eddie. Hi, everyone. Good to speak with you all today. Over the next uh, 45 minutes or so, I'm going to share a couple of ways you can identify the key drivers of product satisfaction and loyalty. So in addition to walking through these approaches, I'm also going to leave you with some tips and best practices that you can apply, as well as some of the tools you can use to assist in your efforts. There should be plenty of time for Q&A, so I look forward to answering any questions. Or if you're also welcome to message me afterwards if you'd like to schedule a call to dig in a bit. All right, let's jump in. I want to start with the justification of taking the time to establish your key drivers of product satisfaction. Now, these are likely concepts familiar to many of you. But if you know how satisfied your customers and users are, then your company is more likely to realize the following benefits. Greater adoption of your product, more renewals and lower customer churn, increased upsell cross-sell opportunities, more customers willing to serve as references for sales efforts, more referrals from your most loyal advocates, more positive reviews online on sites like G2 and Trustradius stronger brand reputation as measured by net promoter score, and higher win rates in competitive deals. We at Satrix work with a number of software companies, and our clients are measuring and tracking many of these, with some of them used as key performance indicators to assess the overall health of their customer relationships. Whether it's goals around net promoter score, more five-star reviews online, increasing revenue from existing customers, or greater usage and adoption across the user base, Strengthening these metrics are vital for maximizing revenue growth. So how specifically are companies using their key product satisfaction drivers? Well, here are a few examples. First, they're using this data to make more informed decisions about where to focus their improvement efforts. These are companies that prefer to rely on data and facts to make such important decisions rather than relying on intuition or the loudest voices in their customer base. Key drivers are also used to optimize products to better meet the needs of the users. Understanding precisely why your users are happy or frustrated should inform the product roadmap and your continuous improvement efforts are likely to enhance your company's reputation. Also, satisfaction drivers serve as a blueprint for improving the overall customer experience. This is true not just among your users, but also budget holders and champions and influencers who may not use the product day to day. And as I noted on the previous slide, companies engaged in these activities are likely to experience lower churn and higher customer lifetime value, both of which lead to accelerated revenue and profit growth. 
Well, we're going to talk about two prominent ways of identifying key drivers of product satisfaction. There are actually a few places you could look for valuable data and feedback. Now, the data and insights gathered through these methods don't really qualify as the official key driver analysis, but you can still get a good amount of actionable intelligence to inform important roadmap and investment decisions. Many companies, I'm sure many of you, have existing surveys that they're currently fielding, so that's clearly a good place to start. You might also be running pop-up surveys in your application. The, the feedback there might be more superficial, but still valuable. And you might have analytics tools that provide a lot of powerful insights, including tracking user behavior and patterns. And I'll share some of those tools, examples of them in a minute. On the qualitative side, conducting in-depth interviews with existing prospective or lost customers reveal powerful insights. And we're going to talk more about this later in the presentation. Focus groups and product councils are great for voice of customer feedback. Product council, for those of you maybe not familiar, is like a customer advisory board, but more product focused. And finally, there's a lot of great insight in user-initiated feedback, like the suggestions you get from online reviews or support interactions or in your user forums. Some of our clients have established most or all of these channels to gather user behavior, feedback, and enhancement suggestions, while others have just stood up a few. But any of these programs can help guide your organization towards the decisions your customers are likely to appreciate most. While all of these are great sources of customer insight, if you want to identify your key drivers using the official methodology, stick around for a bit because that's where we're going to dig in. First, a definition. Key driver analysis, or KDA, tells you the relative importance of independent variables or drivers on your dependent or outcome variable. Now, we're going to discuss what this actually means, but the justification for going through this exercise is that KDA will help your organization focus efforts on areas most likely to move the needle on overall customer satisfaction and loyalty. Now, there are two widely accepted approaches to understanding key drivers. One is called derived importance, and the other is known as stated importance. We're going to cover both, starting with derived importance. At a high level, here are the steps to identify your key drivers of product satisfaction using derived importance. Now, we're going to spend a few minutes on each of these steps because there are a number of best practices to consider and pitfalls to watch out for. But for your derived importance KDA, you'll need to design an online survey questionnaire. You'll need to then field the survey, then run your key driver analysis using the survey response data, and then prepare a reporting to show which attributes or drivers to focus on. Let's talk about step one, design of the survey questionnaire. Now, the do's and don'ts of customer survey design could itself be an entire webinar. <clears throat> so we won't have the time to dig in a lot of detail on that today, but clearly an important consideration is what are the right questions to ask? With plans to run a KDA using your survey data, the questions posed become even more important because we have to include as many attributes as possible that are likely to have a meaningful influence on your dependent variable, like overall satisfaction. If we ask questions, for example, that are actionable to improving satisfaction, or if we leave important attributes out of our survey, the resulting data won't be as strong. For the statistically minded among us, I'm referring to the R squared, which is a goodness of fit measure. Without getting bogged down in too much statistics, the higher your R-squared, the stronger your model, which is an indication that you have included the right questions in your survey. So how do you determine what the right questions are to include in your survey? 
Well, I recommend you start with the following. What have your customers or power users shared in your customer community or user group if you have them? If you have any existing surveys, as we talked about a moment ago, what feedback can you find there? What can you see from your support interactions as to what frustrates your users? And importantly, what can you glean from discussions with some of your largest customers or power users? Now, these are just some examples. As we touched on earlier, there are other places you can certainly look, like if you have a product council or existing reviews of your product online. If your company uses a customer success platform like Gainsight or ChurnZero or Catalyst, there's likely a lot of valuable intelligence in there as well or in your CRM. What you'll learn from these sources will give you a head start on defining what your customers care about most. And those concepts will serve as the independent variables you'll want to form questions around for your online survey. Now, when Satric Solutions is first engaged by a company to field and design a customer satisfaction survey, our discovery phase includes requesting the feedback from all of these sources. We don't design a survey in a vacuum, and I strongly recommend that you don't either. So in addition to sourcing all of this feedback, another challenge is that much of this content will be unstructured qualitative feedback. You'll have transcripts from customer conversations or notes in your CRM or technical support emails. It's all text-based feedback and it needs to be analyzed. So that's where thematic analysis comes into play. Thematic analysis is a data analysis process involving methodically identifying patterns in your qualitative feedback systematically coding, deriving themes, and creating a narrative. On this slide, I've shared the steps in converting all of that qualitative feedback you've collected into prominent themes. There are some tools you can leverage to help with this, but and we'll touch on those in a bit. But we feel the best approach is still one that relies largely on humans. The quality of analysis is better when a person, not a machine, is reviewing the feedback, identifying codes, creating a code book, and then grouping those codes into themes. This is a sample of a section of a codebook. As you can see, it includes positive product and support themes and the accompanying codes in those buckets. Not shown on this slide is, are the negative themes, which often parallel the positive, but are the inverse. Like for example, frustrations about the lack of integrations or a poor user interface. This example also doesn't show the counts which are simply the number of times a particular theme is identified in any of the information sources you are using. It's those simple counts that will enable you to essentially stack rank the themes so you can focus your survey questions on the attributes your customers seem to care about most. Now that you have your likely drivers, the key driver analysis we're gonna run requires you to also identify your dependent variable. Based on our client discovery process and discussions with executives that we work with, we often recommend the dependent variable for our clients be one of these first three, either net promoter score, which is likely to recommend question, how likely are you to continue or renew, sometimes referred to as the secondary net promoter score, or just an overall satisfaction question, like overall how satisfied or dissatisfied are you with our product? There are some companies that are really intensely focused on making their organization or product as easy as possible. In that case, the final question on this list might be the dependent variable, but often we're using one of the first three. So at this point, you've aggregated customer feedback, you've developed your themes, you have a strong sense of what your drivers and your dependent variable will be. Now it's time to chat with your leadership team and, and brainstorm a bit. 
This collaboration is important as you want to be sure you arrive at essentially some consensus with your head of product, your chief marketing officer, head of customer success, support leader, and others. This can often be achieved in a one or two hour workshop where you share your analysis and you, as a group, hammer out the final questions for your survey. The questions you and your team decide on should first cover all the likely drivers of product or customer satisfaction. And two, importantly, adhere to best practices in survey design with the right question language, the right scales, the right question order, and so on. Once you've designed your survey, the next step is to send the survey to your contact list. Now, you might consider piloting your survey, first targeting a small subset of your customers to see what you get and that ensure it aligns with your thinking and there are no big surprises. But when you do launch to the broader customer or user base, it's vital that you invite the right contacts and take steps to maximize response rates. So you get good data. You can imagine how frustrating it would be to do all this work and then get a 5% response rate to your survey, which would essentially stall your efforts. Maximizing survey participation rates can also be its own webinar, but there are a lot of recommendations and strategies you can find online, including on our website at satricsolutions.com. So let's assume you get a strong response rate, you have robust, reliable, representative data. Now it's time to run your key driver analysis. As with many things in the world of customer research, there are various options as to the statistical approach you can take. Some survey tools use Pearson's correlation to identify key drivers. And you can also derive Pearson's correlation using a simple formula in Excel. But we prefer Shapley value regression. The reasons, as you can see here, is that Shapley accounts for what's quite common circumstance when drivers are highly correlated with each other, something known as multicollinearity. Shapley also calculates the marginal contribution for each factor that each factor makes to customer satisfaction or likely to recommend. Once you have calculated the Shapley value for each factor, you can rank them in terms of their contribution to customer or product satisfaction. And the predictor variables or attributes with the highest Shapley values represent the most influential drivers of customer satisfaction. These are the results that you've done all of this hard work for and are the areas your company should prioritize improvement efforts to enhance the overall customer experience. Now, one of the downsides to using Shapley value is that it involves a series of complex computations. But fortunately, there are tools that make it nice and easy. I'll share more about those in a bit. So let's take a look at a sample quadrant visual, which is one of the more common ways to show the results of your key driver analysis. What you see here, if you look at the bottom horizontal line, that satisfaction with the different attributes is plotted along the x-axis. These are the average scores for all the attributes from the survey you fielded. Along the y-axis to the left, you see the important scores from our Shapley value regression model converted or normalized to add up to 100. The top left quadrant are the attributes that are lower performing, but determined to be high importance. These are the, most, are the areas most companies focus on first. Based on your KDA, improvements in these areas should boost your dependent variable like overall satisfaction or likely to recommend. Now, across our software clients, we've seen various attributes in this top left quadrant, but some of the more common relate to reporting functionality, for example, feature gaps, sometimes ease of use, among others. I'm sure you can appreciate that any of these could be significant pain points for users 
and over time could lead to higher churn or negative reviews if not addressed. Now in the top right quadrant are drivers identified as important, but where the company is performing well in the eyes of the customers. The high levels of satisfaction among these attributes could serve as a competitive advantages that could be emphasized in sales pitches. Many companies also continue to improve these attributes, even though they're already performing well, to maintain their strong performance and further delight their customers. Now, the bottom left are lower priority areas that are less important to customers. They can be fixed, but it's unlikely that doing so will have a significant impact on overall customer satisfaction. Finally, the attributes in the bottom right quadrant are performing well, but also aren't as important as those in the upper two quadrants. So, you know, you've done a good bit of work to get essentially one set of data reflected on this quadrant slide, but you can see the potential impact can be very dramatic. We've worked with clients that over time continue to push the attributes in the top left quadrant into the top right, and their net promoter score improved substantially. Equally important, those companies realize the financial benefit of this focus by seeing higher retention levels, more spend from existing accounts, more customers willing to serve as references, and other positive outcomes that we referred to earlier. Hey, Evan. Yes. Would you mind going back one slide? We just had a question in the Q&A there about the numbers across that bottom access. What, what is that scale on the bottom? And can you talk about the, the numbers there from three to five? Yeah, that's a good question. So those are the average scores or the mean in response to the survey online to these attributes. So you have a, a one to five scale, you know, choice scale is response like a satisfaction scale. And these are simply the average scores. Now, some companies convert these into percentage looking at top two boxes, percentages, for example. So it doesn't always have to be the mean score. Mm-hmm. There are different approaches, different ways you can represent performance on the x-axis. But in this case, we made it simple and just did the average score to, re- to the responses to these attribute questions. Okay, thank you. Sure thing. Now, I wanted to offer up a few cautions. Some of these we talked about already but I wanted to dig in on a few more because they are prominent risks to conducting a key driver analysis. If you have you know, low response rates, clearly that's something that could lead to uh, jeopardize the quality of this exercise. If you have poor survey instrument design, I mean, that's clearly a problem. If your survey is not designed well, if you have leading or confusing questions or unbalanced scales or any of the myriad of problems we see with poor surveys, it significantly jeopardizes the quality of your data. If your customer contact list is outdated or doesn't include the right people, you're potentially running a KDA using responses from people who may not be as important to your business. So as an example, the insights gleaned from this exercise are less meaningful and potentially misleading if your survey population is overweighted with contacts who rarely use the product. The risk is similar with sampling bias. Let's say you sample the sample you've sent the survey to only includes customers in North America but you get 30% of your revenues overseas. Your KDA could lead you to make decisions that part of your user base would appreciate, but may not align with what other customer segments want. Confirmation bias is also a big risk and comes into play most prominently when you're analyzing your unstructured feedback and creating that code book that informs the questions in your survey that we talked about earlier. It's important to look at the feedback through an unbiased lens and not conform the data to any preconceived notions that the team may have something we see somewhat commonly with with companies that do this work in-house, very close to the material, they're very passionate, so they tend to have some confirmation bias. 
Now, inadequate follow-up and failure to put insights to use are, are less associated with key driver analysis, but more for your voice of customer program overall. Remember that to identify your key drivers, you asked your customers to take the time to complete your survey. It's imperative that you follow up with them to address any frustrations they share and also demonstrate clearly that you're using their feedback to make decisions that will improve their experience. Not doing these things runs the risk of upsetting your customers more than if you had never asked for their feedback at all. I'm sure we've all filled out surveys and wondered what was done with our feedback because we never got a response or we never saw evidence that anything was done with it. And, you know, candidly, this type of behavior can damage trust, frustrate customers, and even lead to lower engagement in future surveys or worse, lead to higher churn. Okay, so let's quickly pivot from discussing derived importance, which is all the work that we covered previously, and look at stated importance. Again, here, there are a few approaches to understanding key drivers and you know, understanding key drivers using stated importance. One is to simply ask your customers in an online survey what attributes are important to them. Well, pretty straightforward. This downside of this approach is that customers often say everything is important to them. So what's required is a way to tease out what's really most important. One of the approaches is called max diff, also known as best worst scaling. We're not going to get into detail on max diff today as that would probably add another 20 minutes to the, today's discussion. But most of the survey tools have max diff functionality baked into the platform with easy to follow tutorials to show you how to execute. The version of stated importance that I wanted to talk about today are programs I feel are exceptionally valuable and ones you're likely familiar with already, those being sales win loss and churn in-depth interviews. The drivers you'll uncover from these endeavors are not necessarily statistically based, but I believe are still immensely useful. During these interviews following a sales win, sales loss, or customer churn, you can explore important questions such as, why do buyers prefer our product over the competition? What are our perceived product gaps? What feature functionality should we prioritize? How do we compare on things like UX, UI, pricing support, and other important win or loss drivers? During churn interviews, you can seek to understand what are the prominent issues causing our customers to churn? What about our products frustrate our customers? What enhancements will improve adoption or retention? And why are we losing customers to the competition? So after conducting a number of these interviews, let's say 20 or 25 of them, you can apply the thematic analysis we talked about earlier to analyze all of the unstructured feedback and identify your key drivers of wins, losses, and churn. So this is clearly a very different approach to gathering drivers. And while there's likely to be some overlap with your product satisfaction key drivers, these programs yield different insights that are believe, I believe are equally valuable. So a moment ago, I suggested targeting maybe 20 to 25 interviews. That's usually enough feedback to generate some findings based on a good sample. For most of our clients, these programs are run year-round. So the interviews are conducted in very close proximity to the win, loss, or churn. I strongly recommend you do the same, as if it's more difficult to get a contact to agree to speak if it's months after the decision is made. Also, you know, memories fade, right? So to best to approach them when things are fresh in their mind. Now, one other consideration is you won't be able to target all of the wins, losses, and churns, nor would you really want to. It's good to have some criteria in place to help narrow down the list of opportunities to the ones likely to elicit more valuable insight. 
Many of our clients focus on competitive deals, losses, steals, high revenue accounts, surprises and wins, losses or terminations, or accounts that align strongly with their ideal customer profile. Some cautions here, whoever conducts these interviews, it's immensely important that then, and that they can make the difference between a successful or unsuccessful program. It's really best to have an experienced interviewer, one who is a strong listener, who can be objective and has some product knowledge. You know, even better if you can hire a neutral third party as you're likely to get more candid feedback, especially around such discussions like competitive advantages or landscape commercials or frustrations the contact may have had with contacts at your organization they interacted with. It's generally not a good idea to rely on the person who owns the account or led the sales process because you might get not get as much candid feedback. Here are some best practices to consider when conducting these interviews. Most of these are pretty straightforward, but one I want to emphasize is that these are semi-structured interviews. That means a good interviewer will have their question guide, but will listen carefully for reasons to deviate from the question list and probe when necessary to uncover the richest insights. When conducting interviews for our clients, we want to touch on as many topics as possible, but more important is knowing where there's more to uncover if you ask the right follow-up questions and really tease out all the primary and secondary drivers of the reasons these decisions were made. All right, let's briefly talk about the various tools you can leverage to assist in your efforts to identify your product satisfaction drivers and visualize the data, as well as gather other helpful usage analytics. There are dozens, if you look at the left column, or hundreds of survey tools. I'm sure you're familiar with many of these. Some of them are free. Some of them are tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So we use Qualtrics here at Satric Solutions to field surveys for many of our clients. Its functionality is quite robust. It includes KDA analysis and MaxDiff functionality. Now, the KDA that Qualtrics relies on is that Pearson correlation, not the Shapley value that we've been talking about, but still gives you that quadrant slide that you can use to guide your decision-making efforts. If you look at uh, some of these analytics tools, companies like Pendo and Hotjar are product experience insight tools that help companies understand their customers through tools like heat maps, session recordings, surveys, and feedback widgets. Gainsight, you see here, is one of the several of those customer success platforms I alluded to earlier that give customers visibility into platform usage, customer sentiment, customer health scores, and a lot of related functionality. And in the, in the right column, these text analytics tools can help with sentiment and thematic analysis. Now, we here at Satrix use Ascribe. We use Ascribe mainly to help with the coding because what you can do is ingest all of your feedback, create your codebook, import that, and then just simply drag over your themes onto each of the comments that you, where you see a theme is prevalent. A few more product management platforms like Product Board and AHA are online visual roadmap tools that ingest feedback from many different sources like surveys and emails and Slack and so forth. And they enable internal teams to identify which improvements to work on first, second, and third. So you can see how your product, your key driver analysis can feed directly into tools like that. The middle column data analytics tools are great for helping run complex calculations and visualizing results in easy to understand dashboards. Now we use Displayer, the one at the top to run Shapley value, as well as to create real-time dashboards for our clients. I will say, and I have no investment in Displayer, but we've been really impressed in working with them for the last couple of years. 
They have a lot of great content on their website as well, all sorts of market research and statistical concepts that they cover in blog articles. So great resources that I recommend people leverage if you want to learn more about that, uh, more than we've discussed here today. And then in the right-hand column, you have just a few of the service providers like Satric Solutions that can do much of the heavy lifting for you, including designing and administering your online survey, identifying your key drivers, conducting in-depth interviews, doing all the coding, preparing robust reporting and visualizations. So you might decide, hey, this is better just to hire an expert. There are some examples for you, plenty more also. Now, just a few final recommendations as we wrap up. We've touched on this already, but it is essential that your organization is committed to using the feedback and drivers to make important decisions regarding the roadmap and other improvement opportunities. Frankly, if you're not prepared to action the insight, you might consider not asking your customers for feedback in the first place. So really ensure that you have that top-down commitment before you even start. You might be surprised to hear that while some companies are good at customer-informed decision-making, they sometimes don't get enough credit because they don't communicate it effectively. Your customers are likely to experience the improvements personally in your products and service, but it's also important not to forget to communicate with your customers. Circle back with them. Tell them what you've done. There are plenty of opportunities to reinforce your commitment to customer experience excellence. Such efforts really serve as a differentiator and a competitive advantage, so why not highlight it? Finally, wrapping up to emphasize some of the points we've covered today, first, carefully review all of the existing customer feedback available to you in your organization. Use your findings to formulate in collaboration with your leadership team the right questions for your survey. Field your survey and maximize response rates to obtain rich, reliable, representative data. Then run your products, product satisfaction drivers by using Shapley Value, or if you don't have the requisite tools, you can use Pearson's Correlation. Be sure to leverage the findings from all this hard work to inform important decision drivers. And then close the loop with your customers to address any frustrations they may have and tell them what you've done. Finally, refine and repeat. It's important to note these efforts whether you're identifying drivers using derived importance or stated importance, are not one-and-done endeavors. Many of our clients have win-loss churn programs running year-round with deep dive updates maybe happening quarterly or semi-annually. Online survey programs with key drivers being identified are typically executed twice a year, sometimes annually. Doing this regularly enables you to keep your finger on the pulse of customer sentiment and track changes over time. When you're actioning all this wonderful feedback, you're very likely to move the needle. And so you, if you circle back and, and run these analyses again in six or 12 months, you'll see how things change and what you need to focus on now to continually improve the customer experience. So with that, so what I had for you today, we can uh, open it up for questions. Eddie, over to you. Oh, Evan, man, I said we were going to geek out on this topic today, but holy cow, that was incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. And hopefully, hopefully not too much stats, right? No, that's the geeky part. That's what we're <laughs> here for. And because it was so good, we got questions, man. We got some questions in the Q&A over here. Let's get to some of them. One just popped up from Michael that I think you just addressed, but let's just make sure here. Michael says, can you comment on uh, product stage or timing for using this analysis and also the scope or scale of the product? Does, does that affect the timing, frequency of use, overall for gaining ROI from it. I think you just said something about, was it twice a year? That's right. Usually uh, running the extensive key driver analysis once or twice a year 
You know, I also say it's a good point in that you don't want to do this prematurely, right? If you're still sort of building out your product, maybe it's in uh, it's early adopters only, you're probably best to just have in-depth interviews with them to understand some key drivers and not go through the entire process of an online survey and thinking about your Shapley value. That's probably for a little later stage maturity. Okay. So I would say, you know, companies that have you know got a more fully functional product, it's probably time to start thinking about this type of work. Awesome. Awesome. You mentioned earlier the subject of bias. So we got two questions on that topic. Firstly, can you remind us, uh, obviously, some of the sources that we're looking to are going to be more or less biased in their responses. Can you remind us of some of those sources of information that we just need to be aware are naturally going to be more biased? What do we need to be aware of there? Yeah, bias. I mean, there's dozens of different types of bias, but you know, one of the things that we see commonly is that notion of confirmation bias, where people inside the organization are understandably and justifiably passionate about what they're doing, and let's hope that they are. You know, they're they're in the thick of it, so you just instinctively have preconceived notions. Something that you know, I think, is just a human trait when you're working on something so hard and you're in the mix day in and day out you can accidentally or just unknowingly conform feedback to meet your preconceived notions. So that's true of any kind of analysis, whether you're analyzing uh, qualitative or quantitative data, you can almost kind of force the data to tell the story that you believe. So confirmation bias is one that you know you want to keep an eye out for, which it is helpful to have a third party or just someone who's very objective, you know, who is reviewing that and can you know, look through with a clear lens. Another other biases come into play with an online survey, and we talked about sampling bias, uh, social desirability bias. There's also bias if you ask questions improperly, you can sort of lead the witness. Mm -hmm. That's something you want to be very careful about because you can get data from your, I mean, one example, which is used quite prominently, unfortunately, but let's say you have your net promoter question on that zero to 10 scale. And you have smiley faces over the nine and the 10, and then frowny faces over the zero to six. Mm -hmm. That can actually bias your data, right? It leads people, people in, instinctively want to pick, you know, happy faces. So it might inflate your net promoter score. So that's just one of many examples of how you can introduce bias into your survey response data. Brilliant. Man, that's a trippy, tricky, trippy and tricky topic, of course. It's like, it's like you know, a fish trying to imagine the world without water, right? How can you avoid your own biases? But good tips there. Using a third party, I think, absolutely. And that doesn't have to be a third party outside your company, does it? Correct. Correct. No, it does not. We, we work with several companies. In fact, we spoke to someone uh, just a couple of days ago that had a research person in-house who is skilled, for example, at conducting interviews and was able to set aside bias because you know she wasn't as much in the mix, wasn't working on the product roadmap, for example. Mm -hmm. So almost sort of that independent third party within the organization. Good, good, good. Another question, this one from Oddity. Oddity asks, I recently came across this term, customer perceived value or CPV. Can you explain that more and how it may be different from how companies today think of value? What are the ways we can get to under the CPV? What are the ways we can get to under the CPV for a customer? Evan, are you familiar with that term? What are, uh, no? She stumped me. I'm stumped. <laughs> here, 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 Congratulations, Odyssey. You've done it. You've, you've stumped me. 
You know, I it's funny. I, I know a lot of these acronyms, right? Uh, we come across quite a few of them, but that one I, I've heard of CLG, customer led growth. That's certainly much more prominent now than it used to be. Um, I'm, I'm guessing yes. from context clues, this would be the customer's idea of how much value they're getting. Does that does that help or influence anything for you? Well, yes. It's, so it's certainly, if that's the case, makes a lot of sense. I didn't know there was a, an acronym built around it, but you know that's something, for example, that you know companies like Gainsight and Catalyst and Churn Zero have been talking about for many years. The notion of you know maximizing value early, you know, uh, maximizing adoption and value among your uh, customer base. And, you know, they use a lot of health score, for example, is one of those metrics that bakes that in. So you can see visually which customers may be potentially at risk or which ones are in good standing. So it sounds like it may have some application there. Right, right. Good. Here is one from Eva who says, how do you make sure that customers don't get spammed by surveys from the company when there are so many products that we all want feedback on? Creating one long survey is also inhibiting for people to respond to. I think just as we've been sitting here, Evan, I've probably gotten 13 emails all asking me for my response to our interactions. How do we stand out from that crowd and avoid that? Exaggerate much, Eddie? No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it is true. We're, we're all over surveyed, right? We all uh, have survey fatigue, right? Because it's, it's so easy to field a survey now and you can do it using free tools, which I think has, you know, been a hugely, hugely problematic introduction into the world of customer research. And it's one of the reasons that I emphasize the great importance of acting on the feedback. You really, as an organization, need to differentiate yourself among the crowd, stand apart, in the way that you really commit to your customer experience efforts and your voice of customer driven change. Don't be one of those companies that issues surveys and then doesn't do anything with them. And I think, you know, many of our clients are garnering strong response rates and, and they improve over time because what the customers see is that, you know, the two or three minutes they took to complete a survey twice a year, for example, really does result in improving their customer experience. So it is important to you know listen to all the best practices and, and follow them so that you stand apart from the dozens of surveys that we all get that you know just go into a black hole. And I think the other point baked into the question, your survey doesn't have to be this tedious five-minute survey endeavor, you know, with 30 or 40 questions. Most of the surveys that we field are completed in 90 seconds or two minutes, maybe two and a half. They might have 12 or 15 questions, so they include all the attributes necessary, but they aren't these unwieldy surveys that sometimes you get from like a hotel chain that every time you say, yeah, I went to the gym or I went to the restaurant, they ask you another set of 10 questions. Right? You can get a survey, an effective survey done in two minutes, asking your customers to take that much time and, and get all the insights you need for your key driver analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I really try and break it down, I think to myself... Why do I consider the emails from the 10 companies I did business today with spam, but not the, the, you know, the five or six texts I got from my mother? Why don't I consider those spam? It's because we have a relationship and because when I talk to her, she talks to me and there's dual response there. That's the difference, right? That's why I don't consider my mother spam because we have a relationship and we can do the same as companies. We can have relationships with our customers where when we ask them a question and they respond, they see a result from that. And that's that's the relationship. Yeah, that's a great point. I just want to emphasize, lean in on that a little bit, that closed loop feedback process mm. 
mm. is really important. And there's a lot of content online. And again, on the Statrix Solutions website around best practices there, but following up with anyone who responds to your survey and shares a concern, first acknowledging their feedback and then showing them you want to do something about it. That'll absolutely help engagement going forward as well. Right. Here is a question from Michael. Michael says, could you comment? Oh, we did that one. Sorry. How about this one from Brian? Brian says, I missed this, but in the quadrant analysis, how was importance measured? I think that so that was the Y axis, if I'm remembering right. That is right. And and that's your your Shapley value output. Or if you're using Pearson's correlation, your Pearson's correlation output. So it's really just using those statistical models to get essentially the R squared. And that's how it's represented on the slide. Now, a lot of companies sort of normalize that or, you know, change it so that it adds up to 100. So easy calculation there. But you're basically using the R squared from your either correlation or regression analysis. Gotcha. There you go, Brian. Hope that helped you. Dave says, can you highlight some gotchas to consider when conducting KDA? Can you also comment on disconfirmation bias and its impact on KDA. Dave, what about the disconfirmation bias? Goodness. Okay. What do you got, Evan? Yeah. I feel like I've been stumped twice in these questions. Disconfirmation <laughs> bias. That's a new one for me as well. You can bet I'm going to be looking it up after we get off this call. Yeah. Um, you know, but other gotchas are, are, you know, some that I alluded to, right. Is, you know, not designing your question, survey questionnaire properly, not having good response rates, not inviting the right people, you know, uh, all of those definitely run serious risks. You know, so I think even, you know, at the outset, introducing confirmation bias into your initial analysis that, you know, formulate the attributes that you're going to use in your survey, you got to watch out there, not following up. So, you know, there are a lot of pitfalls. I have outlined a few of them on, on some of the slides. And I would definitely encourage everybody to keep those in mind and do your research as well, because, any kind of voice of customer program, if not done properly, really runs the risk of leading a company in the wrong direction, which is kind of the most dangerous element of it all. Sometimes people say, well, if you're not listening to your customers, you know, that sounds pretty bad. Is that like the worst case scenario? And I say, actually, the worst case scenario is worse than that. It's asking your, your customers to provide feedback, but then getting junk data, data that leads you in the wrong direction. And that's something that could happen with key driver analysis. You can end up with attributes in the wrong quadrants. And then imagine all of the investment and effort that goes into improving certain attributes and they actually turn out not to be the right ones. Yeah. So it's a scary situation. Now, I think those are largely you know, more unusual, but you know, definitely want to keep aware of those types of situations. Yeah. And if, if I understand Dave correctly, a disconfirmation bias would be a, another form of confirmation bias, but it's the inverse. So confirmation bias, you're seeing things that you want to see in the data. Disconfirmation bias, you're not seeing things that you don't want to see. So the antidote would be the same. It would be the things that you've discussed already. It would be finding that uh, unbiased party, going to a third party, those sorts of solutions would help you. I mean, it's just a matter of finding the reality in the data, not what you want or don't want to see in it, right? Eddie, I appreciate your support. We're a good team here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Googling things furiously as you're answering these questions. That's how this works, Evan. Nice. Let's do, uh, we got a few more minutes here. Let's do this one from Benjamin, who says, for the key driver analyses, I have seen scenarios where maintain gets significantly neglected, which has led to churn. You mentioned most don't focus in this space, 
So what strategies do you have for selling an organization on addressing some of these items? Did you catch that, Evan? I did, yeah. So, you know, maintain is actually one we talked about that, you know, maybe not the first order priority, but, you know, close uh, second that, you know, companies like to lean into their advantages, right? They like to either further emphasize what they're, you know, winning at, what they're doing really well, or, you know, continuously improve to generate that delight, that real customer advocacy. So I think that is something that is first priority, but, you know, second. And, you know, there are companies, a lot of companies are keeping an eye on those. It's the ones that are the lower importance attributes that maybe, you know, don't warrant as much of a focus as per the KDA. They're determined to be lower importance and they're really not going to move the needle as much on overall customer satisfaction and loyalty. Yeah. 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 A couple questions on this same topic here. So let's definitely get to this one. I'll read this one from... Well, this is from Anonymous. Anonymous would like to ask you this question, Evan. I work for a smaller organization with just a few dozen customers and five to 10 new logos per year. We don't have any customer feedback strategy today, so this is all a bit intimidating. Where do you recommend starting? You know, we've got these startups out here, Evan, many folks, this is the first that they're learning about how deep the rabbit hole goes. Where do they start? What if they don't have any resources to get it going? What can they do? Yeah, the, the resources question is an important one, right? I mean, the resources, I would think, you know, if you have half of a, a full-time employee or even a, a quarter of a full-time employee who can conduct some interviews, for example, you know, the questioner asks or mentions five or 10 new customers a year, there's an opportunity to conduct in-depth interviews around sales win-loss. So that's, you know, a relatively easy way to start and start getting drivers around why you win, why you lose. You know, my recommendation generally around online surveys is that when you get to a place where you can't check in personally with each and every customer, then it's time to think about, you know, doing a one-to-many type approach. So usually companies with, you know, 30 or 50 customers are starting to think about online surveys even though it might not get you, you know, a uh, hundred responses, it's still data. You're still also training your customers that, you know, it's important to ask for their feedback and for them to share on a continuous basis. But I think the easiest way to dip your toe in the water are really the in-depth interviews. You don't have to go through the whole effort of survey design and fielding a survey and maximizing response rates. Uh, of course, I don't feel that's a heavy lift, but probably not enough to think about if you just have 20 or 30 customers, I'd focus on the in-depth interviews. Uh Uh-huh. Let's do this one from Scott. Scott says, assuming that you want to retain your current ICPs, but you want to shift the personas within your ICPs that you target to target a more strategic product opportunity for your software, how would you appropriately attenuate the input from your original and loudest personas to begin to focus on your new target personas is it, ooh this sounds scary like we're going to manipulate the data a little bit here to to get to uh, it, it, am i reading that right is this is this doable is it recommendable evan yeah my initial reaction is no is is you probably need to conduct the exercise with your new personas that you're targeting right they're going to have different sense of value different sense of what they need and so i wouldn't try to tailor what you've already done to that new persona, I would actually go through the exercise specifically with them to try to understand. And again, you know, I keep falling back on this because 
as, as long as you have a good interviewer in the organization, it's such an easy place to start. You know, start reaching out and scheduling 30-minute interviews with those new personas, whether they're existing customers or even prospective customers who've kind of you know, poked around your organization. You can get a lot of wonderful feedback and you know, valuable insights from those interviews. So that may be a nice, easy way to start there as well. Yes, perfect. This one from Joe, I think anytime we talk about this, this topic, I hear a question similar to this one. So let's ask it again and get your input, Evan. Joe says, the majority of my research is based on user interviews, focus groups, and survey monkey surveys. Mm-hmm. Any suggestions on how best to spread that data around the organization to help others make informed decisions? So I've gathered all this input. How do I spread it around and, and inform people and get them to dig in so that they can now know what I know and we can be on the same page here? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's actually one that many companies struggle with, right? This feedback is kind of siloed. It doesn't get shared and socialized. And so there have to be you know, real material efforts to make sure that you're getting this uh, feedback out into the uh, organization. One of the best ways to do that, frankly, is, you know, a lot of people are visual, so they appreciate you know, uh, really compelling visualizations and reporting. They also like stories. So storytelling is important. So, you know, one, two of the things that I recommend to folks internally who have to get other people's attention is tell a compelling story and do so in a very visual way, right? In, in regards to the reporting, you have all this great feedback. You just have to convert it into something that's more than an Excel spreadsheet or it's just some bullets on a PowerPoint slide. Yeah. So that's uh, one thing I would suggest. Some of our clients also have. Slack channels, which are all around customer feedback. And everyone in the extended leadership team has access to that Slack channel. And so just sharing little tidbits in there of things that you're finding or hearing about. Some of our clients also have a championship team, we call it, or it's sometimes referred to as a championship team, which is a, a cross-functional group of, you know, maybe not executives, but a, a level or so down who are really passionate around customer experience. And they're meeting monthly to say, hey, what are we hearing? What have we learned? What kind of feedback have we gleaned? And, and then they're, they're going back and sharing it with their respective departments. So that's something, if you can stand up an internal championship team, that's a great way to socialize the insights that you're capturing. Wonderful. Evan, we, we have you know a, a few more questions, but our time is getting limited here. If the folks have more questions that we just weren't able to get to today, where it looks like you've posted actually your contact info on the screen there. Are you cool if folks reach out to you there with further questions? Absolutely. Please feel free to contact me either uh, directly at my satricsolutions.com or on LinkedIn. And, you know, happy to schedule time for anyone who wants to dig in a little bit further. Wonderful. For those of you just listening, we've got Evan at satricsolutions.com is the email, or you can find him on LinkedIn. Looks like Evan. B Klein, B for beautifully done. <laughs> I was beautifully see, done. I, if you guessed my middle name, but that's even better. That's it. No, that's it. I'm pretty sure that's what it says on the birth certificate. Evan, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us, making us smarter, geeking out with us on you know some of our favorite topics. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. Thank you, Eddie. Thanks everyone for your time. Hope you found it valuable. Have a fantastic week, everyone. We'll see you again next time.